In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear family, on this Sunday, a Sunday to ponder what it means to be a good shepherd, let us keep in the back of our minds a short phrase that should be a guiding principle of our daily lives. In Latin, in the church's sacred language, known to Mabo Mala, in English, I fear no evil. We fear no evil when it comes from outside the church, for we know that for 2,000 years of Catholic history, governments have made martyrs out of the truly faithful. And we fear no evil even when it comes from inside the church, for that also has been going on for 2,000 years, ever since Judas got up from the Last Supper and betrayed Jesus. By the way, it is important for us to ponder why Judas did that. Why? Why? In other words, what was in it for Judas? What, what, why did he do what he did? Meriting eternal damnation. Jesus said better he had never been born. Do we think Judas really did it for 30 pieces of silver? I mean, that's what he got paid, as it were, but really ponder it, dear family. If you were with Jesus for three years, if you healed people and drove out demons in his holy name, certainly not your own, if you witnessed miracle after miracle, including raising people from the dead, you really think Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? Or was there something else going on? Remember, he threw the silver pieces back. They weren't that important to him. What was going on? <coughs> Perhaps the best clue to answer that question is when James and John asked to sit at Jesus' right and left when Jesus attained to his earthly kingdom. And if you understand that, you will understand the motivation Judas had to betray Jesus. And it was not for some lousy, paltry 30 pieces of silver. I mean, that's nothing compared to sitting at Jesus' right or left or near in some earthly kingdom. <coughs> A trifling of silver was not what motivated Judas, but rather... What motivated Judas was what, every, what was in the mindset of every Jew back then, including James and John, and every Jew ever since. They believed 100% that the Jewish Messiah would be ruler of the world. So if Jesus was the Messiah, it would make not just James and John, but also Judas, a key member of the cabinet, as it were, Judas and the Jews back then, as they do now, believe and continue to believe that the Messiah would be conqueror and ruler of the world. So Judas' real motivation was to force Jesus' hand. Judas was impatient with Jesus' timetable, and he was not pleased with Jesus' approach to being the Messiah. Remember what Peter said. Oh, heaven forbid that should happen to you, Lord. Do we not suppose that the other apostles had similar thoughts? In other words, Judas wanted it done in his time 
and in Judas's way. And understand this, something you probably never pondered before. Judas believed as much as any of the other 12 that Jesus was the Messiah. But then, as now, the many have no clue what it means to be the Messiah. We know all we do is we look at the crucifix. That's the Messiah. A stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, or maybe it's the other way around, but stumbling block and foolishness. But there it is, the crucifix. That's what it means to be the Messiah, the savior of the world, the savior from our sins, the person who atones for our sins in an infinite way. So understand this, Judas did not betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That was a pittance compared to what a cabinet member would receive. Well, human nature does not change, dear family. Many people today, both laity and clergy alike, have no clue what it means to be the Messiah. If the last 13 months hasn't taught us anything, it certainly is that. The Messiah does not lead us into a better mortal life. The Messiah, the good shepherd, every good shepherd, leads us to eternal life. Which, by the way, is directly on point to today's sacred scriptures. The good shepherd's job does not include, his job description does not include worrying about whether or not we catch a virus from which 99.65% of people recover with little or no symptoms. The good shepherd's job description is to lead us to eternal life, to make sure we're in a state of grace so that on that day God calls us home, we are ready. Our bulletin cover this week said it all, but unfortunately it was not delivered yesterday. I don't know why. But you can go read it online as a parish website is functioning now better than it has since I arrived. Or you can pick it up. We'll have it available next week. But the bulletin cover quotes Jesus the Lord, the good shepherd himself, and juxtaposes good versus evil. Merriam-Webster defines juxtaposition as an act or an instance of placing two things side by side so as to compare them. So our bulletin cover juxtaposes the mind of a good shepherd and the mind of an evil shepherd. And if you ponder the picture at the top, you see the good shepherd fighting off the wolves. The wolves about which we were warned by Jesus himself, by St. Peter, by St. Paul, versus the bottom half of the bulletin cover, a meme of the bad shepherd who abandons his sheep in their very time of need. <clears throat> and then, dear family, as I said, what is, ponder what has just happened over the past 13 months and realize just how many bad shepherds there are. Let us not be surprised or discouraged by the overwhelming number of how many there are Bad shepherds have directed the recovations of our churches since post-Vatican II. You saw what they did to St. James, how we've had to restore it. You know, every, I've said it before, every last painting, every last statue, every last everything in this church was paid for by the sacrifices of people like you giving it to God. They had absolutely no right to take away anything, to steal your inheritance. But they did here and elsewhere. And bad shepherds directed the evisceration of God-commanded sacred liturgy since post-Vatican II. When we think about bad shepherds, from Dearden in Detroit, Cardinal Dearden in Detroit, Cardinal Bernadine in Chicago, Cardinal McCarrick and Cardinal Whirl in D.C., and all their spawn, all their spawn, 
we only start to realize just how many bad shepherds we have had since and during and since Vatican II. But you don't have to take my word for it. Listen to a synopsis of the profoundly evil Cardinal Dearden of Detroit. He previously served as Bishop of Pittsburgh from 1950 to 1958. You remember Pittsburgh, where had the most recent, most grotesque revelations of clergy sexual abuse? Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh, where one of Dearden's successors was none other than Donald Wuerl, who himself succeeded McCarrick in D.C., and was finally, he finally forced the Bishop of Rome to accept his resignation three years after the fact, with revelations of Wuerl's complicity in the Pittsburgh scandal, which was so damning. Dearden, Bernadine, McCarrick, Wuerl, and their spawn, oh dear family, we can trace the lineage of the bad shepherds. But don't take my word for it. Dearden's term as Archbishop of Detroit is noted for the decline in Catholic school enrollments, the declining number of priests in the archdiocese, the decline in the number of parishioners. Way to go, Dearden. Good job. Dearden attended all four sessions of the Second Vatican Council. He played an influential role in the council, helping develop key documents like Lumen Gentium and Gaudium et Spes. And during the council, he became more progressive in his views, becoming known as a favorite of the liberals in the church. But a family progressive, liberal, those are not good adjectives to have. Remember what Jesus the Good Shepherd said, a rotten tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. By their fruits, you will know them. Decline in Catholic school enrollments, decline in priests, decline in parishioners. Oh yes, we know Dearden by his fruits. And remember what the longest reigning pope ever, Pope Pius IX, said about liberals in the Catholic Church. Quote, I have always condemned liberal Catholicism and I will condemn it again 40 times over if it be necessary. And remember what Pope Pius IX also said about liberals in the Catholic Church. Liberal Catholics are the worst enemies of the church. And remember what Pope St. Pius X said about liberals in the church, quote, let priests take care not to accept from the liberal any ideas which, under the mask of good, pretend to reconcile justice with iniquity. Liberal Catholics are wolves in sheep's clothing, and the priest must unveil to the people their perfidious plots, their iniquitous design. That's, that's not me talking. That's Pope St. Pius X. But if family, truth does not change. Two plus two equaled four in Jesus' day. Two plus two equaled four in Pope Pius IX's day. Two plus two equaled four in Pope St. Pius X's day. And two plus two equaled four when Cardinal Dearden was a liberal driving force in the Catholic Church in America since, during and since Vatican II. In fact, Dearden drew the attention of the national media for, quote, his innovative approach to the new liturgy and teachings. You know, before the new liturgy, about 100% of Catholics attended Holy Sacrifice of the Mass on weekends, on Sundays. 
about 100% believed in the real presence. You'll judge, you'll know by their fruits, you will know them. Now, what is it? 80% don't believe in the real presence. About 80% don't even come to Mass. By their fruits, you will know them. His, but Dearden had an, due national attention for his innovative approach to the new liturgy and teachings. You should recall, dear family, God's commands regarding sacred liturgy articulated in Exodus 25 through 31. I've asked you many times, please read those five, six little chapters. And then cringe in horror whenever any liberal pushes an innovative approach to new liturgy. Now, I don't know how one can top the destruction of the sacred liturgy under Dearden's watch, but if it does not top it, this comes close. Dearden was founder and driving force to a new group entitled Call to Action. And this damned group of heretics and apostates proposed and supported recommendations for returning laicized priests to the ministry. Oh, how would you like McCarrick to get his job back? The ordination of married men and of women, lay preachers, freedom to practice artificial contraception. <coughs> Remember, it's artificial, it's not from God. An open attitude toward homosexuality and reception of communion by divorced and remarried Catholics. Let us recognize that, what those propositions are, dear family. They are the same damnable propositions coming out of Germany and seemingly even in Rome in our days. And while the liberal German toxic extremists are not exactly quoted by Rome, neither are they soundly condemned for being the apostates that they are, neither by Rome nor by most other shepherds of the church. How does that be? Remember I told you, the cardinal sin. You can get away with most anything. Just don't criticize them. Oh no, that would be bad. Well, not surprisingly, the New York Times characterized Dearden as a progressive and the leading liberal in the church. The Wanderer, however, condemned him as a major heretic, one of the worst the Catholic Church has ever suffered from. So, dear family, all you need to know is that the New York Times liked him. Boom. Done. End of inquiry. And why that, all this is so important to have clear in our heads, dear family, on this Good Shepherd Sunday is that Dearden, Bernadine, McCarrick, Rule, and their spawn, all are birds of a feather, and their progeny are alive and well today. And you can tell exactly who they are when you look at those who dared to close the churches over the last 13 months and deny the faithful the sacraments of grace to which they are entitled by virtue of their baptism. And you can tell exactly who they are when they lined up like lemmings to be guinea pigs, to be lab rats, to the untried, untested, rushed-to-market injection of gene manipulation, misleading the flock every step of the way. All it may lead us to give up hope, dear family, but do not go there. During the past week, I was blessed to spend about 24 hours at a small lake in northern Wisconsin and both at nightfall and in the early morning, I heard the loons cry. And all of us, dear family, all of us would do well to step back from the madness all around us. We would do well to stop, look, and listen because Almighty God reminds us in something so simple as the loons' melancholy call that he is God and we are not. And that he, dear family, he 
has it in his control. So no matter how bad things look all around us, let us repeat our motto for our day, known to Mabel Mala, I fear no evil. We do not fear Satan. We are vigilant. We do not fear him because we know in the end, in God's timing, Easter Sunday, Christus vincit, Christ conquers. Judas did not get it, but I understand Judas because I get impatient too. Come on, Lord, enough's enough. Smite your enemies like now. You see, we really do understand Judas because you share my frustration. But let us strive not to be Judas. Let us both not try to force Jesus to follow our timetable and our way of fixing things. Instead, let us keep the faith no matter what. Let us not fear the madness all around us. Let us instead say to ourselves every day, known to Mabel Mala, I fear no evil, even when it wears the clothing of a shepherd. And let us now and always thank Almighty God for the good shepherds that he has provided to our generation as he has to every generation. May he bless them, his faithful shepherds, and strengthen them and give them courage to fight off all the wood, wolves. Again, even when some of those wolves were shepherds' clothing. And then one last thing, I promise. This past year, when the rulers of the world shut down the entire world in about two weeks' time, using their media control to promulgate and perpetuate the fear-demic hoax, many, most, most almost all the shepherds of the church rewrote their job descriptions to include denial of sacramental grace in favor of global economic devastation, godless masking, godless antisocial distancing. They abandoned their sheep when the wolves of the world came prowling. They missed perhaps the last great opportunity to make the one holy Catholic and apostolic church relevant again. And instead emblazoned so many of our church fronts in neon pink, non-essential. And despite the overwhelming evidence that they erred grievously, I've heard of only one courageous priest who apologized. Those bad shepherds owe us all an apology. And if they do not apologize, they may have driven the final nail in their eternal coffins. Once again, you do not have to take my word for it. But as we just heard moments ago, Jesus the Lord said, every tree that does not bear fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And by their fruits, you will know them. We're now up to about 80% non-attendance, 80% non-belief in the real presence. By their fruits, we do know them. So let us give thanks for those good shepherds who continue to lead us in the face of anything toward truth and toward eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.